Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. With the word of the Lord open before us, let us go to the Lord and ask for His help. Let's pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we pray that we would be reminded once more of this glorious truth of the Gospel as we celebrate Christ coming down to save us from our sin. Lord, we know that heaven and earth will pass away, but Your words will not pass away. And we pray we would meditate not on the temporal, but on the eternal. We would meditate not on what is here today and gone tomorrow, but what will last forever. We pray that we would cherish not the gifts given from under a tree, but the gift given through Jesus Christ, and whose inheritance is imperishing, unfading, undefiled. We pray that we would see this glorious treasure today. In your word, we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 25, and verses 39 to 45. It is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Inasmuch as may have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God in, the, in his division, was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and the fear fell on him, upon him. When he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many to the, of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before them in the spirit of power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. 
The people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining, remained mute. When this, his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Down to verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country of the town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, and the sound of your greeting came to my ears. The baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The most wonderful time of the year, apparently, Chaotic family gatherings, searching for sales, gifts at stores, disordered parking lot rules. Every year this season comes around, and every year we're left wondering, what is it all for? What is the purpose of all this? Why do any of this? And we've heard the saying that Jesus is the reason for the season. Nevertheless, we might know why we have the reason for this season. But then what response should we be giving at this time when we consider the incarnation of Christ? What do we think when we celebrate the incarnation? The Son of God coming down to earth, dwelling amongst His people. What should we do? Or to put it another way, How should we respond when we consider the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is not the most wonderful time of the year if all we have is tainted traditions or commercialized sales tactics. It is not the time of year that makes this so wonderful, but it's actually what we celebrate which is wonderful. The good news of Jesus Christ coming to save sinners like you and I. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at men and women in the Bible through the narrative of Luke's couple of opening chapters of how they respond when they hear of the good news of Christ and His incarnation. When they encounter Jesus, When the fullness of time had come, the Son of Man was born of a woman dwelt among men. How did they respond? What can we learn from their response about how we are to respond today? What did they say? What was their focus? 
What can we learn from these responses about our reaction to the Incarnation? And following the introduction in Luke, where Luke lays out his purpose of why he is writing this Gospel, other Gospel accounts have been written. Why did Luke decide to be able to write this Gospel? Luke the physician says he does it so that we might have an orderly account. But in verse 4, the, the, the main point of why he writes this, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You may know the truth of this Gospel. And Luke begins his orderly account, not with the birth of Jesus, but the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. John's father, Zechariah, who we'll see in a couple of weeks, is told of the promise of the birth of his son to his wife Elizabeth. Both come from the line of Aaron. Zechariah, a priest. We find out about who these people are, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Verses 6 and 7, we find out that they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They have a problem. They're godly people, blameless, but yet they have no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in years. Here we have a great example of faith in them walking blamelessly before the Lord. We also find out that Elizabeth is barren. Now before we move on, we need to stop and have a pastoral note about what we learn from this time. You have godly man, a man and woman, husband and wife, yet they are unable to conceive. It's not merely that they're just saying that they're godly people. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes out that they are godly people walking blamelessly before the Lord, and yet they are unable to conceive. And many times, people who are unable to conceive think, well, maybe it's because of something I did. What we see here. It's not that. And here, that... Elizabeth is barren, not because she is unrighteous and ungodly. Actually, you could say the opposite. It's for God's purposes and plans. But in this, Luke is making this connection to to Zechariah and Elizabeth that goes merely deeper than just explaining who they are. Actually, what we see is there's many different layers, and you could go through this and unpack this in a glorious way to be able to go back to the Old Testament. But we're told that, that here, Zechariah and Elizabeth should remind us of a two, another older couple who walked blamelessly, who were unable to conceive. This is Abraham and Sarah. When Zechariah comes and he serves in that temple, he's burning incense, he sees an angel. 
He gave him a simple message. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Don't be afraid. Your prayer's been heard. You're going to have a son called John. And he tells him what John the Baptist will do. Now again, you, you don't have, we don't have time to be able to go through this, but a glorious passage of seeing the works of God and the promises of God all coming as Luke begins the New Testament story of the Gospel, tying back all to the Old Testament. But Zechariah has a question. Well, how should I know this? Well, the way that you would know this, I guess, is that your wife Elizabeth bears a son. And you call his name John. But his question is not merely just, how do I know this? There's something underlying here. The, the angel rebukes him later and says, you did not believe the words. So it's not merely just a practical question. Well, how will I know? He has doubt. And he says, I am an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Biblical wisdom here comes out. You're ever going to call your wife? Call her advanced in years and not old. But again, we're reminded of the story of Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis 17, God again reveals to Abraham, as your wife Sarah shall not be called her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed to himself. Shall a child be born to a man of a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael shall live before you. What an impossible task. And Zechariah is in a similar position saying, how is this going to happen? Now, Abraham is not rebuked. But Zechariah is. In verse 20, we find out that he did not believe. Elizabeth does conceive. Is pregnant with a little baby, John. And then, Luke doesn't end the story with the good news of John's coming. He goes to another story of an angel appearing. To a young virgin named Mary. Now we'll look at more of these stories next week, but here these two stories overlap. Elizabeth actually becomes the example that Gabriel uses when Mary asks the question, well, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Gabriel responds in verse 34 and explains that the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, to you, born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who has, was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. The angel explains, this is how it's going to happen. Here, here's the impossible thing. Your relative Elizabeth is already bearing it. Nothing is impossible for God. 
Mary finds out this news, and in haste, she runs to be able to meet her close relative, her cousin. She goes to the hill country in Judah, which is most likely Hebron. She tells Elizabeth this good news she has received from Gabriel. As Mary walks into her cousin's house, she greets them. And here we then find the response of Elizabeth. Even the baby within her womb. Baby John the Baptist is filled with joy at the good news which comes. You can almost do a whole sermon on, on John the Baptist's response as a baby in the womb of the good news. But Gabriel told Zechariah that John the Baptist would be filled from the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and we see that there. But also, even this could be a a connection back to the Old Testament in in Genesis chapter 25, where there's this movement, this wrestling in the womb. Rebecca's told that the older shall serve the younger. But now we get to Elizabeth's response. What is Elizabeth's response to this good news? She has a good news of herself. That the Lord has, has come to her who, whose years of prayer to be able to conceive and have a child. This is good news, but it is overshadowed by Mary's good news. John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit, leaping within her womb, but also Mary, uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And once she... Her cousin greets her. She then exclaims with a loud exclamation, uh, exclamation of, of this blessing which is upon Mary. The Messiah which she would give birth. Now we must be able to repeat what the Bible tells us. If we have an issue with reading Scripture and saying what Scripture teaches and, and says, then we have a hurdle that we need to go over. And it's never with the Bible. Now Elizabeth says that Mary is blessed. Mary, as we'll look at next week in verse 48, will say, all generations will call me blessed. Now God in His plan and providence chose young Mary to be the one to carry, to give birth to God the Son in His incarnation. And Elizabeth begins her exclamation by saying, Blessed are you among women. This is not merely a nice greeting which is required by society. But as Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, she speaks and the words that she speaks forth, as Luke records, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as well, he says, Mary is blessed. We'll see this next week. She's a humble, faith-filled woman who loves to serve God. However, sadly, some people have taken this and exalted Mary. There's a special place in God's plan and, and, and providence of His story. Sadly, people elevate her then. 
even the Catholic Church has venerated her to a higher degree than what the Bible explains. We should say no less than the Bible says, but we also should say no more than the Bible says. She's not the only blessed among women, but she is the most, but the most blessed. That's what they say. They elevate her to a point where they utter prayers to her. They pray to her. They hope that she would be able to become their somewhat savior. That position is only filled for Christ, the mediator between God and man. If you, you, you took this rubric and then you applied it to all Scripture, then you might be praying prayers to Jael. In Judges chapter 5, she's called blessed. She's the one that drives the tent peg into the man's skull as he sleeps. You don't venerate her, lift her up. But she's called blessed. And in their teaching, they, they, they pursue and they, they go down this road and she becomes more like God. Mary is blessed because God used her. And if you asked her, as we'll look at next week, it's not about exaltation of Mary, it's about humiliation, humbleness in Mary. That the snake crusher is born of a woman under the law, and that woman is Mary. And Elizabeth shouts that Mary is blessed. The second portion of Elizabeth's exclamation is that the blessing of the fruit of the womb. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, when we hear this blessing, we might think, well, what a lovely thing to be able to put on a a baby shower card as you're writing it down. However, as we understand, as we're reading the New Testament... In the opening pages of Scripture, we've already alluded that these are many are tied to these Old Testament promises coming through here. And you cannot overlook things that merely just sound nice. This phrase actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 28. And in this section of Deuteronomy, the people of God, the new generation about to walk into the promised land, the old generation who has denied God and 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 said that God could not save them from these giants that live in the promised land, who wandered the wilderness for 40 years, they are all now dead, and the new generation is about to go in. They they were not there at Mount Sinai. Most of them were young. They had not heard the Ten Commandments, so Deuteronomy is is a reminding of them of, of what is going to happen, of living like the people God has saved them to live like. And as they're about to enter into the promised land, this end section of Deuteronomy is these two tribes, the, the twelve tribes are divided. Six go on top of one mountain. Six tribes go on top of another mountain. You have Mount Gerizim, which is the mountain of blessing. You have the other six tribes on Mount Ebal, which is the mountain of the curse. In chapter 28, speaks of these blessings for obedience. And then the curses for disobedience. Chapter 28 begins by saying these are the blessings of obedience if you go into the land to live like the people that God has saved you to live like. 
And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and increase of your herds and of the young of your flock. And here, Elizabeth, as she hears the good news of Christ coming down to dwell amongst His people, he says, oh, this is the blessing. This is the blessing promised. But also, if we understand that it's going back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we see not only Mary's obedience to see this promise, but this blessing is for the whole nation of Israel. The section in Deuteronomy continues that the following chapters, in the beginning of chapter 30, Moses explains that blessings and curses will come upon you. There will be times of obedience. There will be times of disobedience. Cycles of blessings, cycles of cursing. And it's evident throughout all of Israel's history. However, we need to then be reminded that the Old Testament is not just this Old Testament story the New Testament refers back to. The Old Testament leads to, points to, the greater fulfillment in the New Testament. The obedient one is here. The one who doesn't have the cycles of disobedience and obedience, but the one who is perfectly obedient is here. As Paul explains in Philippians 2, chapter 8, We love this verse at this time of year. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And even death on the cross. As as the the two tribes are separated, there's no hope because there's always going to be periods of disobedience and, and there's going to be times of obedience. But when does all the blessings actually come forward? It's through Christ who comes who is perfectly obedient, who always lives on that obedient mountain. That he humbled himself by becoming obedient. These blessings, as we see, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, all godly people seeking to love and serve him. But I think the focus is on Christ. But all around this, we see not just the the blessing of Elizabeth, the blessing of the fruit of her womb, but to praise God from whom all blessings flow. When we start to focus on Mary and Elizabeth, Zechariah, we miss the point. Again, we can say that Jesus is the reason for the season and then drift off to other things. And Elizabeth's response to the good news is to praise God. One commentator points out that Elizabeth does not wish or offer a blessing. But what she merely does is recognize blessedness. Notice how Elizabeth sees God in all of this. A point that she must praise Him. And her worship is, is, is shaped by three things. Proclamation, humility, and faith. Proclamation, humility, and faith. 
Firstly, proclamation. Once she is filled with the Holy Spirit, her response is to verbalize it, to, to proclaim it, to exclaim it. The good news of Christ's incarnation needs to be proclaimed. One of our children's favorite songs is, Go Tell It on a Mountain. Go tell it on a mountain, over the hills and far away. Go tell it on a mountain. What? That Jesus Christ is born. The response of the good news must be that we must share and tell others. That it's good news that Christ came down to dwell with man to be able to save us from our sins and other people's sins, your sins, my sins. How can we not share that, tell that with others? Use this time and this season to be able to proclaim that to people that might not know anything about why Christmas is here. Now again, we know that Jesus is a reason for the season, but what are we to do with that? I'm not a big Christmas person, but I do love Christmas carols. The reason I love Christmas carols is because they're often played almost everywhere. And in almost every single Christmas carol is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ coming in to be able to dwell and save sinners. What a glorious thing and an opportunity to be able to share. What do you think this song is talking about? You Actually, you probably shouldn't call them Christmas carols. You should call them Christmas hymns. Incarnation hymns. Actually, hymns that we should be able to sing all through the year, not just at a particular month. We need to be able to proclaim this good news. Listening to Sinclair Ferguson, he had a, a quote that I just could not pass. He says, you see, here's our problem. We are not amazed by the question. Why the God-man? We assume, of course, He would come. The Gospel begins to amaze us when we learn who it is who has come. It is staggering to the intellect. Indeed, I can think one can say if your intellect has never been staggered by the reality of the Incarnation, you do not know what the Incarnation means. It does not mean Jesus was a little baby. It means the eternal, infinite, divine one worshipped by the cherubim and the seraphim, creator of all being, sustainer of all life, infinite in His being, wisdom, power, majesty, glory. What a word could dissolve the world that had sinned against Him was willing to come into the world to assume our flesh in order to become our Savior. It's overwhelming. Here's the great thing about the Gospel. never done overwhelming you. Wave upon wave upon wave of worship and adoration that God the Son should come for the likes of me. Not just because it is the likes of me. Because it is the One who is without parallel in infinite majesty who has done this. How can you not, after hearing and understanding of the incarnation of Christ, want to proclaim it to all the world? 
The second response that we see is that of humility. Notice how Elizabeth, here she is, she has John the Baptist in her womb, and she exalts Christ. As her son would later say, that he must increase, I must decrease, that he must increase. She has this same philosophy in her mind. And she asks the question, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Again, the focus is on Christ. And most likely a reference to Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord. What a great question to ask as we celebrate the incarnation. Why would Jesus come? Why would He come for us? How often do we think the opposite? We think of ourselves and not others. Incarnation should drive us to humility. Again, Paul exhorts the church in Philippi. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant by being born in the likeness of men. Paul's example of Christ, uh, of why we should be humble, is turning to Christ in his his incarnation and his obedience, so then we are to follow this. Thirdly, Incarnation should lead us to faith. Elizabeth ends by saying, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has spoken to her from the Lord. Again, the focus is not on Mary, it is on God. The blessed is Mary because Mary had faith in the promises of God. That God would be the one who fulfills His promises that He had made. The promise speaks of Christ's coming. His eternal kingdom. A promise which was told to Mary just verses before. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and He shall call His name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let us not get distracted by temporal things that come and go, but set our minds and our hearts upon the eternal thing. Let us praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let us proclaim the coming of Christ and the salvation that he brings to his people. Let us not focus on ourselves this season, but on Christ and how we might be a light for those around us. How we might follow Christ's example and serve in humility. And lastly, let us have faith in Christ. That He is our yes and amen to all of God's promises. That His kingdom is forever. That He reigns supreme. Let's go to the Lord in O gracious and most merciful Father, we give You thanks and praise. 
forgive us when we have read passages like this and are not standing in awe and amazement of what is actually happening and taking place. Lord, the Son of God, the Most High, Eternal, comes down and dwells amongst us. Born and placed in a manger. Comes in humility and obedience. Lord, let us go forth and proclaim this glorious message to others around us. Let us be humble as we do it. Let us look and look to Christ in all faith. Knowing He is able and willing to be able to do all things He has promised to do. Pray this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.